When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everything I do, I do it for you. Can't tell me, not worth fighting for. You know it's true. I don't care what anybody says, that song's fucking great. It's probably Ryan Adams' best song. Great fucking song like that that was in a great movie, Robin Hood, which I need to go back and watch. Oh, that's the one with Kevin Costner, right? Yeah. What a weird song to be in, Robin Hood. Yeah, it's not really um, folk tale No. <laughs> not at all. I mean, it's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. Does it play at any point in the movie? It I seems like it's I, on like end credits, perhaps. It might be. I don't know. I feel like I need to go back and watch it. I did like it when I was young and watched it. I need to watch it as an adult. All right. So I know the first thing that most people are going to think when they see Ryan Adams sucks is, oh, great. Everyone's going to dogpile on him because that's the thing that's happening right now. And I honestly don't care to spend very much time talking about Ryan Adams behavior as a person. It's obviously going to come up throughout the episode, but I, I just it's not that interesting. And I don't think there's very much to say beyond. Obviously, he can go fuck himself. Yeah, actually, the number one thing in my notes is he may be the biggest piece of shit of anybody we've ever talked about on this podcast. Like he's up there with like Gene Simmons. He's right up there with Gene Simmons, like as far as top tier asshole goes. Yeah. He's genuinely a piece of shit. Yeah, but I think the most shocking thing related to Ryan Adams being a piece of shit is that anyone has ever been shocked to learn that Ryan Adams is a piece of shit. <laughs> True. Yeah, did anybody out there actually reading like an article about him being like an abusive scumbag and been like, oh my God, this is so shocking. It's like most normal people would read it and go, yeah, of course. I mean, this is exactly what I thought he was like. Do people not know what it means when there's one guy who can't keep a band together for more than a few years, no matter who's in the band with him? Have you (laughs) not been paying attention to the headlines for actual decades at this point? And have you just listened to his songs? I was going to say, guy that writes emotionally underdeveloped emo songs for decades now, I guess, somehow is an asshole, somehow is is not a nice guy. I'm shocked. There should be no one ever at all, ever. If you get, how many bands does this dude have? At least three, right? Like, well, if you, I guess, include himself, the Cardinals and Whiskey Town, like, and his own solo project. He can't keep his shit together. And that's just the people on stage with him. If you want to get into all the people that have been on his team over the years, it's just a long list. Mm -hmm. And he's the common denominator. I think the only possible interesting angle to find on him being an asshole is to ask if this is what happens when an artist who secretly knows they are not a genius gets called a genius Mm-hmm. too many times mm-hmm. like does ryan adams secretly know he is nothing special therefore every time someone says he is something special it causes him to have less respect for all of humanity all oh, these people are idiots yes 
too many people around you saying that you're fucking brilliant and no one around you going, dude, this is not, this is not very good. This is not a very strong song or whatever. You start believing the hype that everyone else is saying that is there. You start ingesting it and believing it. And then, you know, it's like he got stunted. Like he just never developed past 2001. So you don't think he secretly knows that he's not a genius. You think he just believes it. I think he probably believes it. I think he actually genuinely needs probably still to this day, based on his latest release of songs, I would say he still is in a constant need of people to think that he is. Yeah, you hate me because I'm a scumbag or I was a piece of shit. But like, look, 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 I wrote a new record and it's so smart, right? Aren't, I'm, I'm a genius, right? Like, remember, 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 remember like 15 years ago, like you guys were saying all this stuff about me. Like, it's true, right? Like, that's what I hear when I listen to those songs. And he just needs another hit of it. He just wants to get a little taste. So there was this TV show on BBC called Songwriter Circle, which is exactly what it sounds like. And the episode with Pure Punishment, yeah, not, not a great show. <laughs> um, the episode with Ryan Adams also had Neil Finn of Crowded House and Janice Ian on it. You don't have to watch the whole thing. Just the first 60 seconds you can see Ryan's stupid ass say the non-word unfallible in front of two much better songwriters. Then the most interesting thing they actually cut out of this show, but you can find news articles about this. Like if you search for news articles about Ryan Adams on Songwriter Circle, they had to cut it from the episode because I got to guess Ryan was insecure about Neil Finn getting the closing number, which the other two writers were supposed to participate in. And Ryan sort of half-assed his part and didn't do everything that they had done in rehearsal. He didn't do everything that they everyone thought he was going to do. So they went through it, and then the producers were like, hey, uh, can we do that again? And then, like, Ryan, you do the thing that you were supposed to do. And then Ryan does, I think he did even less, and then he just takes out his phone and starts, like, scrolling on eBay and bidding on black metal T-shirts on eBay mm. during the taping mm. of a show mm -hmm. on stage. Yeah. And then they ask him again, and he just throws some kind of fit and packs his guitar up and leaves. And both Neil Finn and Janice Ian are just like, dude, what is your problem? <laughs> I think by the end of this episode, if there's one thing we could probably prove emphatically that it really just has to be about Ryan at all times. Even going so far as to say, if you think about it in that light, the releasing of the covering Taylor Swift thing. But what about me? What about me? Whether he believes it or not, he certainly acts like everything he's ever written on a piece of paper was worth writing down and turning into a song. Mm -hmm. Anytime you've stepped in some place where you just wanted to get a sandwich or a cup of coffee, and for some reason there was a guy in the corner playing songs that he wrote, and you could tell he thinks they're very important because of where he places pauses or emphasis before delivering certain words, Ryan Adams is that dude's favorite songwriter every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I stepped in a piece of shit today. I should probably, it's a euphemism for something. I need to write a song yeah, I'm gonna about write a it. Song about you this. know, you don't, you don't have to write a song about it, dude. You don't have to write a song about everything. No, I'm going to use it. You don't have to. I'm going to use it. Someone needs to be in his ear going, you know, dude, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to write a song about that. I would love to know what even the most diehard Ryan Adams fan on the planet thinks his ratio of good to bad songs is. <laughs> one to 40, one to 30. I mean, this is a great artist for people who think the word prolific is a compliment. Well, the thing is, is if you, if you, okay, 
objectively speaking, if you listen to every album beginning to end and you pulled out the best two songs, that's really what it is. Like he's got like a very small handful of songs that for some reason are are okay. And then everyone thinks, oh, because these three songs are okay, well, everything he ever did is great. I mean, it's just so brilliant. I don't think that this dude should have even been a songwriter in the first place. I think that he should have been hired to write for a soap opera. Mm. Do you have any idea how many scripts a soap opera burns through pumping out a new episode every weekday? If your whole thing as a writer is, oh, there's just so many words I can write down. Why am I apparently the only person smart enough to write down all these words? Yeah, I mean, you should probably just start a soap opera. Mm -hmm. If, If it's more about quantity than quality for you just go get a job we're pumping it out he needs a, like someone to the producer like he'll get up to go to the bathroom or something the producer like erases words and is like yeah. like fucking scratching shit out oh wow this is great song dude just just leave out like 90 percent of what you wrote so one time ryan adams turned in four different completed albums to his record label and his label refused to release any of them as is mm. and what they did is pick what they thought were the best songs from those four albums to make one album. And it's probably like this second best Ryan Adams album, and he hates it. So yeah, that's they, it. They ex- like basically yeah. did exactly what I just said. Dude. Why did you shit all over my art? <laughs> yeah. Because they were just in there deleting shit like, nope, 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 nope. Okay, that's okay. Nope, nope, nope. He'll talk about it. He definitely talks as if he thinks it makes him a genius that he's capable of putting out three or four albums in one year. But that would only be impressive if any of them were actually good. Yeah. He tried to make his second solo album a double album and his label was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that on your second album, dude. He's kind of like the guy that sits down at a roulette table and plays like almost all the numbers and he wins and you're like, you lost so much money. Yeah, like what the fuck are you talking about? You just yeah, your number hit, but you played all the other numbers. Like this, you're lost. You're not winning. He's just going, yeah, but I won. And they're like, no, but you, you just technically I did win. Right. You can't take that away from me. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. Can you imagine how much it has to bother him that he's written all of these songs, so many songs, and had a lot of people call him a genius songwriter. But the most plays he has on Spotify right now by a ridiculous margin yeah. is an overly serious cover of Wonderwall mm-hmm. that I've got to imagine he recorded as a joke. There's no way he was serious when he even recorded this thing. And it's got almost 90 million plays. His second biggest song doesn't even have half of that. Yes. The second biggest song, which is, I think, an original song, I think. I don't really know. I assume it's 40 it is. something, maybe 40 is, something yes, million. Is, is, no, it's less than half. For sure, it's less than half. Yeah, Wonderwall is by far his biggest song, which I feel like we've talked about, I don't even know how many times on this podcast. If your biggest song is a cover, you're fucked as an artist. It would drive me fucking insane if the best thing that I ever did in the eyes of my fan base was somebody else's music, somebody else's art. That would drive me fucking crazy. I would lose my shit. I'd be like, no, delete that forever. I never want to see it again. Like what if you were a chef and you were trying to be the serious chef and put together this menu for your restaurant that just hit all these things that you thought were so important for a culinary experience? And then when you're on April Fool's, you decide we're just going to roll out a Big Mac from the kitchen and everyone loses their minds for the Big Mac. Yeah. And you cannot open your restaurant for business without every single day 
90% of your tables only wanting that Big Mac that's not even on the menu anymore. Yeah, that's the perfect analogy. You would go fucking crazy, especially because you spent, then as a <laughs> chef, you just keep out putting out new dishes. But just for some reason, no matter how many new dishes you put out, everyone comes in for the fucking Big Mac. Until eventually you just decide to do the whole McDonald's menu, which is kind of what he did when he decided to cover an entire Taylor Swift album. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure he probably wasn't thinking about how much more popular that one cover song he did was than all the music that he had put out in the years between Wonderwall and his cover of 1989. Yeah. He probably wasn't just like, how come nothing I'm doing is getting as much attention as Wonderwall? And he probably didn't then think, what if I did a whole album uh, covering uh, what album has gotten the most press recently? Let's see here. Yeah. Dude, I am just, I really try to put myself in his shoes here. If you don't are, do that. <laughs> no, uh, yes. <laughs> Sold out show. And literally everyone is just waiting for you to play someone else's song. <laughs> like that's what they're there for. They are there to watch you play like maybe one or two of your own songs, but they're really there why they're absolutely bought tickets to this show is to watch you play someone else's music. It's like Taylor Swift is the most giant artist in the world at this point or exploding in popularity. And it still has to be like, yeah, but like I'll cover her songs too. (laughs) Like check this shit out. I'll literally release a cover album for us, an album that's still really popular because I, I still need you to think that I'm, that I'm fucking, it's about me. You know what I mean? Like, and it's almost like nobody can have uh, any success as big as he was or something like that without him being like, yeah, but, but look at me. I do think that 1989 is hands down the best Ryan Adams album. It sure. is better than anything that he ever wrote for himself. Well, this is like a, an album written by the best songwriters on planet Earth. Right. So, yes, of course, him covering it. I mean, it is the best shit he ever did. First, I think Taylor Swift's 1989 is a terrible album. She cannot sell a pop song, and anyone who's listened to Avril Lavigne knows it. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, Ryan Adams using the songs from 1989 as source material for an album of recordings that treats trite pop songs as if they are deep or even matter in any meaningful way is actually not different at all from him doing the same thing for every album of trite bullshit songs that he wrote. Yeah. It's the same thing. Oh, wow. He took these songs that are so stupid and he's like treating them like they're serious. You just described every Ryan Adams album. Yeah. Because obviously he comes up with this idea. He listens to the Taylor Swift album and he's like, I'm just going to cover every song beginning to end the whole album. I'm going to make literally a cover album of the album. And everyone around him just goes, dude, that's great. That's genius. Oh, my God. You should all not have careers in the music business. The biggest difference between the songs that Ryan Adams writes for himself and the songs on Taylor Swift's 1989 is that Max Martin is a vastly superior songwriter to Ryan Adams. And no, I don't feel like pretending Taylor Swift is the primary songwriter on her music today. Sorry. Like we're not. <laughs> if, you think, if you think Taylor Swift is the person most responsible for the way her songs are written, then it's your job, not mine, to explain why all of the Max Martin songs on 1989 are significantly better than the Jack Antonoff songs. Yeah. The, honestly, the most interesting thing about Ryan Adams 1989 is hearing someone who actually has any kind of personality, even if it's a bad one, perform a bunch of Max Martin songs with a couple of Jack Antonoff songs thrown in just so you can really hear the difference in songwriting quality. Yeah. 
Dude, we could we should do the an episode where we just go through the illusion of the songwriting artist. Oh, dude, we could do that right now. Ninety-nine percent of what you listen to is not written by the people that are performing it. We can do this right now. Does anyone else think it's weird that ninety-five percent of the Ryan Adams songs people actually know are the ones where he had a co-writer? Yeah. Seriously, like whatever your favorite Ryan Adams song, unless you're a weirdo and you've got a Ryan Adams tattoo, which I'm not even trying to have any conversation <laughs> with you. If you casually like five Ryan Adams songs, which I'm assuming is nearly everyone paying attention to this, go see if that's one of the ones that he had a co-writer on. Because probably, I mean, everything he did with the Cardinals is a great opportunity to remind you that it really doesn't matter how many stellar musicians a talentless hack surrounds themselves with. Mm -hmm. The difference between someone like Ryan Adams bringing a bunch of better musicians into the mix and someone like Bob Dylan doing the same thing is so huge. And the only reason I'm even mentioning those names in one statement is how many people have pretended Ryan Adams was the second coming of Bob Dylan. I mean, the uh, hard way to fall from Jacksonville City Nights is obviously Ryan's attempt at doing Nashville Skyline Dylan, and it just doesn't come anywhere close. None of Ryan Adams' attempts to copy people comes anywhere close. Ryan Adams is less like a new Bob Dylan and more like a not as talented John Cougar Mellencamp. But if you think his Mellencamp reboot on songs like To Be Young is even worth your time, then you should probably skip back about 15 years earlier and listen to Steve Earle's Mellencamp impersonation because it is better. Or you could check the writing credits on To Be Young and again, ask yourself, oh, who is this Dave Rawlings guy who's credited as a writer on this? I wonder what else he's done in his life. And then you can get to have your mind blown by a career that's worth paying attention to. Maybe at some point in his career as he was weaving through it and he gets attached to other co-writers when somehow they've convinced him that it's a good idea because so many things that I read about Ryan Adams would be like, he is terrible at taking any criticism. Obviously. At all. Yeah. He cannot take even the most mild criticism. Nope. And we could do another whole episode about the, well, I think we probably have talked about it a little bit, but like, the abject failure of music journalism to ever talk about anything that's even remotely upsetting to the people that they write about. But Ryan Adams is a prime example of someone that is incapable of taking even the most slightest criticism. So I can only imagine what it must have been like to people that were presenting him. Ryan, sir, would you consider co-writing with these people, we think you're great. Like, I mean, it must have been like walking on eggshells trying to get him to sit down with like a writer because he can't, what, what, is it, well, what would it even be right to write with him? You can't be like, uh, that's, a, that's a good idea. Let's change it a little. I mean, it's gotta be like walking on eggshells every second with a guy. I can't remember what music critic it was. It might've been Jim Derogatis. If Is he the guy who broke the R. Kelly story and followed it forever or was it? I don't know. Whichever music critic was the one who was like on the R. Kelly story for 10, 15 years, Ryan Adams <laughs> left him a voicemail. Mm -hmm. You can actually, dude uploaded it to the internet. So like you can go listen to it and it's awful. Like it's just yeah. like him. He's just he says some shit like you must have a problem with me personally because we both know that the music is flawless or mm -hmm. some ridiculous shit like that. 
now that we've sold a bunch of shirts, maybe people will start responding to them wearing our shirt. We get tagged in posts all the time, I see. Yeah, if you get a shirt. At yfbspod.com. I want to hear the stories. Oh, I definitely want to hear some stories. I bet it's a lot of people laughing at the shirt. I bet when you're walking around in a shirt that says your favorite band sucks on it, you get a lot of people who aren't dumb as fuck going, that shirt's funny. I hope. It's a great conversation starter or ender. If you're a single person and you're someone that goes on dates, you should buy a shirt and wear it on a date. Mm-hmm. It's a great litmus test. Figure out right away. Oh, this person I'm going on this date with, his favorite band is Weezer. Text your friend. Hey, uh, can you call me in a minute and tell me that you really need my help? Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. There was another time that I wrote down in my notes and it was maybe in something in spin or something like that where he actually called. It was some really mild criticism. He asked them to they basically pull, pull take it, it down. Yeah, pull and it. And they did. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Like they did. I they took that, it down. No, no, it was Consequence of Sound. Consequence Deleted of Sound. Deleted part of the article yeah. at his request, which is insane. Uh, first of all, if you're an artist, you really, you have to get some thick skin because this podcast exists and there's even way worse people than us when it comes to music criticism. But second of all, what a failure of journalism. Heavy quotes journalism that is music journalism to have even mild criticism of his new album and then actually take it down because he gets butthurt about it like you lose all credibility dude that's what makes me think that he kind of secretly doesn't believe all the shit that he says about how great he thinks he is because that's a level of insecurity that you wouldn't have if you were confident that what you were doing is good if you're confident that you know what you're doing is good you know that there are going to be people who don't get it or don't like it for Mm. whatever reasons. And you don't care because you know that they're wrong. It makes me feel like the reason maybe why we've never had like, we have a, first of all, our podcast does very well. We get a lot of streams. We've been in the top 10 music category and Spotify many, many times, whatever. Doesn't not, not the point. But the point is, is that no, we've never had like, Rolling Stone or Consequence of Sound or Spin, any music magazine ever do like a a story on us, even if it's to trash us and say we're idiots, nothing. And I got to assume that at least a big chunk of that reason isn't because we're irrelevant, but because they would just get backlash from every artist that we've ever talked about getting butthurt about our existence. If it was your job, say you were hired by Big Tobacco Mm -hmm. to, uh, as a scientist, you were hired by Big Tobacco to... Conduct a study that proved that at least, you know, undetermined if cigarettes were bad for your health or not. And then someone over here had proof that they were. You wouldn't then make as much noise as possible about how wrong that person was because you would be forwarding attention along to them. Mm-hmm. And then people who can think for themselves are going to go read the study and be like, wait, this is like definitive proof that cigarettes are bad for you. Yeah. So I think, I think it's sort of like a, it, maybe if we ignore it, it'll go away. Like pull the blanket over their heads. Yeah. It's situation. like, a, also, I'm not surprised that Rolling Stone hasn't done a story on this. Cause well, we not, definitely talked a lot of shit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. recently. Fuck that magazine. I, I mean, I could care less if any of them write an article about us, but I, I've wondered sometimes if it's because music journalism, you know, how people accuse, what is it? There's like a term for it in the media where it's like inside baseball, basically, where I'm a writer for a major news organization and you're like a politician. It happens on politics a lot. Of, don't cover these certain people poorly because, you know, we have this thing. But like a lot of, a lot, a lot of music journalism 
is inside baseball stuff. They want to be liked. They want the artists to like be their friends or whatever. So, I mean, that's a real thing, but what you, the first thing that you said, that's just fact. I mean, especially like I just brought up Rolling Stone already. So, I mean, that's a part of Rolling Stone's history is not covering artists poorly. If their record labels spend substantial ad dollars on, on the magazine. That's documented fact. But it's also why people like, I don't know, R. Kelly existed for as long as he did because he's making so much fucking money and they're spending so much money every magazine around the country, even if there was substantiated claims of abuse for years, which there were, a lot of that shit gets swept under the rug because there's so much money being made and they don't want to upset anybody. What you going to do? You're going to tell whoever, whatever record label that their artist sucks or was maybe a, an abuser. You're not going to do that because they're writing you a check for $5 million every year and deleting an article because Ryan Adams, little whiny bitch ass calls you and goes, eh, I don't like that article. Take it down. And then you take it down. Can you imagine how much it must fuck up a Ryan Adams fan when they find out about like Jason Molina or Connor Oberst or John Vanderslice or any of these indie songwriters. <laughs> Wait, how come I can't predict the word that's going to be at the end of the next three lines the first time I listen to this song? How come they're saying stuff I didn't expect them to say? This may not be true, but I like to think in my head that like hardcore Connor fans and hardcore Ryan Adams fans hate each other. You know what I mean? Like they don't get along. Probably. Like, I like smart music and they're like, I like crayons. You know what I mean? Like they don't really, they don't really, they don't get along at all. You can see Ryan Adams steering for the easy rhyme from a mile away every time. Yeah. This dude has a song called Sylvia Plath. I don't know. Some poet, maybe you've heard of her, wrote down some words that some people thought were good and care about. I wish I had a Sylvia Plath, busted tooth and a smile and cigarette ashes in her drink. The kind that goes out and then sleeps for a week. The kind that goes out on her own to give me a reason for, well, I don't know. Uh, That's not me saying I can't remember how the lyrics go. Those are the lyrics of the song. Those are the actual lyrics to the song. And maybe she'd take me to France or maybe to Spain and she'd ask me to dance in a mansion on the top of a hill. She'd ash on the carpets and slip me a pill. Ah, I didn't even know the lyrics and I guessed pill. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was in my head. I was like, oh, Bill, he's going to say Bill. Then she'd get me pretty loaded on gin and maybe she'd give me a bath. How I wish I had a Sylvia Plath. Dude, I am so sure Sylvia Plath is thrilled that you rhymed her name with, with the bath. word bath. <laughs> Truly stellar work. Great job. Don't, no, 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 don't worry. He also <laughs> rhymes Plath with laugh later on in the song. If you were worried, don't. It's good. It's oh, fine. Shit. He's got that one covered, too. Oh, man. Genius songwriter. Wow. She gave me a bath. Sylvia Plath. Speaking of writing a song about Sylvia Plath, which kind of like Kurt Cobain with Leonard Cohen is not a body of work Ryan Adams should be allowed to lazily refer to as an invocation of emotional weight. What the fuck is up with this guy naming his songs titles everyone knows from better artists? Avalanche is a Leonard Cohen song, Ryan. The Hardest Part is a Tom Petty song, Ryan. New York, New York is that bullshit song Frank Sinatra does, Ryan. Wish You Were Here is a Pink Floyd song, Ryan. 
Still Alive is a Love and Rocket song, Ryan. Strawberry Wine is a Matresha Berg song, Ryan. The End is a Doors song, Ryan. Stay With Me is a Faces song, Ryan. Breakdown is another Tom Petty song. Hallelujah is another Leonard Cohen song. Everybody Knows is another Leonard Cohen song. Desire is an entire Bob Dylan album. I know you know all of this, dude. What are you doing? It's called SEO, Search Engine Optimization. Uh, most people would probably consider that to be black hat SEO, abusing uh, keywords that are he knows are very popular. It's kind of genius years later, actually, like now, but Spotify didn't exist when he was doing all that shit. It was Napster. But if you actually, no, fuck, if you think about it, probably then people were downloading music when this shit came out. If you were looking for a Pink Floyd song or yeah, a Napster, Napster, so it would it, it, a lot of times it would just say the song title and you wouldn't necessarily know who it was. So you download it and then it would be like something completely different. There's like famous uh, bands that have ex- like actually got popular from that. So more than likely, I would not doubt. I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit for being smart enough to go. Oh shit! People are going to download this and thinking that it's a Pink Floyd song or thinking that it's whatever. I just don't think he has any original ideas, honestly. And right. the the music on these songs sort of backs it up. I mean, there's not a single Ryan Adams song that you can't point to someone from 10 to 30 years earlier and be like, that's what he's trying to sound like. And he's not doing a very good job of it. Of all the Purple Rain ripoffs out there, Hotel Chelsea Nights has got to be the worst one. What if I took a song about apologizing to a person and wishing them well, but instead made it an exercise in selfish bitching with a twist of gaslighting them? That's this song. If I mean, you put out a song right now called Wish You Were Here and you are in a rock band right now that you would no way on fucking earth get away with that. People would instantly go, yeah. what are you doing? I don't know how I don't not understand how he got away. With doing this shit. It was in the window of we have Napster, but we don't have social media. Right. So there wasn't oh, a, true. There wasn't anywhere for millions of people to come unglued on him. Right. Well, and then also he obviously has the ability to send nasty voicemails or emails to people that would write about it at the time because people still read magazines. Magazines aren't gonna criticize him for it because again, they might get a, a mean a mean email. Magazines loved this guy. This is back when the rock magazines like spin was probably the cool magazine that did the most for this dude and they were so obsessed with the whole damaged rock stars doing drugs thing i mean they probably loved oasis i would imagine but they definitely gave this dude so much coverage in his cocaine years and romanticized it which Fuck y'all for helping this happen the way that it did. So, like, I would honestly be fine with people who don't actually care about music pretending to love Ryan Adams because that's what this is. Sure. But except that it comes with this whole vibe of this guy's a genius and I'm smart for liking it. Right. How is a song like When the Stars Go Blue any better or even different than Coldplay's song Yellow? Ryan rhymes the word blue with the word blue and talks about stars. How is it different? But Ryan Adams fans are still living in a world where if someone says they listen to Coldplay, then everyone else is supposed to laugh before anyone points out that most of their favorite Ryan Adams songs sound exactly like the first Coldplay album. Yeah, there really is very little difference. Not much of a difference. But one is being literally shipped and marketed to you as being really cool and edgy and look at this drunk guy falling around stage with some weird emo haircut and a jean jacket versus like these clean cut dudes, whatever. But if the right people tell you that it's great, 
And it is just great. You eventually believe the own, you believe your own bullshit. That's what it is. Gold is a train wreck of an album. On the third song, Ryan starts singing like Dave Matthews for no reason. And there are 13 more songs after that. So just have fun <laughs> dealing with that. He starts singing like Dave Matthews. On track three. Yeah, again, everyone that listens to Ryan Adams probably hates Dave Matthews. Oh, yeah. Unless Ryan Adams sounds like Dave Matthews, then it's brilliant. Well, congratulations on never not hearing it that way again. Also, the production on most of this stuff is very bad. Yeah. Sixpence, None the Richer albums sound better than Heartbreaker. Yeah. If you zero in on Ryan pretending he knows how to play banjo on Come Pick Me Up and then just go press play on any Sixpence, None the Richer album from the 90s, I he definitely was at the forefront of my biggest pet peeve on earth, which is when bands purposefully sound like shit when they don't have yeah. to sound like shit. I, that is a huge pet peeve of mine across the board. I will bitch about it in every single episode of any band that does that instantly pisses me off. The Strokes are a perfect example, and it's even funnier that that motherfucker said the Strokes suck. And I was like, why? Because you're at the race for the fucking bottom of how shitty can you make your album sound? It's because they talk shit on him. He's got to strike yeah, back. That's right. That's strike right. Strike back. You know that uh, Spider-Man meme where like they're both pointing at each other? Like that's mm -hmm. all I could see when I read that like <laughs> the strokes of Riot Adams hate each other. I'm like, why? Like oh, you're like the same fucking band. <laughs> you sound like shit. So like people think you're cool. I think Ryan Adams is worse, man. I would love to know how far the average Ryan Adams fan can make it into the rock and roll album and still convince themselves this is a musical artist with integrity and a sound that can be defined rather than Madonna with a guitar, trying to make sure everyone keeps paying attention to him and talking about him, even when trends shift towards bands like the so-called garage rock revival with the Strokes or Franz Ferdinand or whatever else was going on at the time that he was trying to sound like on that album. I think the difference is a Strokes fan just like shitty rock and roll because it's not good. <laughs> they like shitty music. Whereas a Ryan Adams fan thinks they're probably above it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like I'm smarter yeah. than you. I'm better than you because I like Ryan Adams. Yeah. And you're like, why? It's like 12 year olds writing songs in their basement, recording as shitty and crying in the corner with an acoustic guitar at a party. Also, can we just talk about how bad Ryan Adams' voice is as a singer? I mean, like, we've been talking about him as a writer a lot, but his voice is bad. I would love to hear the alternate takes of the middle eight in the song To Be Young because he was taking a lot of swings that day, and I bet there were quite a few big misses. <laughs> I do want to say, I think he took singing lessons at some point in the second half of the aughts, because, but if you watch any early video of him doing that song To Be Young with a full band the bridge gets rough like every time. And I can't imagine many people sitting in the audience feeling great about buying a ticket to see someone do that on a microphone. Mm -hmm. That's the other great thing about Sixpence on the Richer. <laughs> it, when they throw a bridge into the middle of a song, it's because they actually have enough range in their vocals to sing over some different chords now. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it gets a little, the dynamic ability is there basically is what you're saying. Their ability to do dynamic things. I'm trying to, I saw him at the Ryman one time and it was uh, obvious that like uh, it's cleaned up, like the recorded versions are cleaned up and the recorded versions are bad, but like it's still cleaned up from what he could do live. Do you think that this guy liked being thought of as alt country when he got started? No, it's just that he could only pretend to sing over songs with four chords or less. We're talking about a dude who has literally said that punk rock is too hard to sing. So yeah, yeah. if you start adding a bunch of chords to that mess, it's just going to fall apart. Yeah, I never knew him of anything other than just trying to be like a rock star. I always thought of him as trying to be a rock star so hard. 
So when I'm like reading some of the stuff, singer songwriter magazines are country music type writings. You know what I mean? I was like, what? A lot of people who don't actually listen to country music. It's a lot of people who listen to like Graham Parsons and think that that's country music. And they think that that's what he was doing at the beginning. It's like, also, I think when you get to a certain size, maybe, or people think that you are a certain thing. Like size 32 or? <laughs> yes. You could just say that you're something and people will go, oh yes, you are. So you already brought up the Strokes. Do you remember in the Strokes episode when we talked about how nobody would really give a fuck about the Strokes if 9-11 hadn't happened? Mm -hmm, Because they're mm -hmm. basically the I Heart and Y shirts in the form of a band. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Ryan Adams. Whiskey Town were critics darlings, but nobody really cared. Ryan put out Heartbreaker and nobody cared. Everyone now acts like they were on board with Heartbreaker from the beginning and Come Pick Me Up has been their favorite song since the day it came out, but they're lying. Mm Mm-hmm. Heartbreaker didn't sell for shit and neither did his second album until Ryan Adams made a video for the song New York, New York, where he plays in front of the Manhattan skyline with the Twin Towers in the background four days prior to 9-11. So guess whose music video with the Twin Towers in it started getting played all the time on every TV station that played music videos, even though it sounds like a fucking Paul Simon song. Yeah. What's funny is like the first thing where my head went when you were when you were going there, I thought you were literally going to say Ryan Adams did 9-11. Like, I thought that's where you were going with it. And I was like, oh, shit, here we go. I was like, oh, I can't prove that he didn't. I would guess that if you had a time machine and you took it back to like September 7th Mm -hmm. of 2001 and told Ryan Adams what was going to happen, he would probably scrap the music video that he'd already made for the song and film a new music video in front of the twin towers. Yep. And this is actually what happened. If you go look into it, he did have a whole other version of the music video finished. And then who knows, for some reason he just scrapped it and decided to do a new one in front of the twin towers specifically. It's a hell of a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that he did for sure, but the fact that he had another version of the uh, video recorded and finished, yet for some reason they decided to redo it. I'm not saying that he knew that he was friends with George Bush and maybe Bush told them ahead of time what was going to happen and so they redid it. I'm not going to say that because I don't know that. I'm not going to say he had he knew what was going to happen before it did. However this happened, this is certainly the only reason there are even enough people who know this guy's name for us to be doing an episode on him. And within like two months, he was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. The New York song won a Grammy Award. The Rolling Stones asked him to be their opening act. Uh, Again, this is all because someone flew airplanes into the World Trade Center Uh, The album only sold like 400,000 copies, by the way. This was all just a ton of press and exposure that didn't really translate to sales, but the press and exposure just never went away. And by the time Cameron Crowe put Come Pick Me Up on the Elizabethtown soundtrack a few years later, it was all over. Yeah. To be clear, like the Taylor Swift album, Elizabethtown as a movie fucking sucked, but This is the first movie that Cameron Crowe put out after his run from Jerry Maguire to Almost Famous to Vanilla Sky. Three massive movies. So everybody goes to see his next one. And yeah, it's terrible, which only means that everything that they were hearing on the soundtrack probably sounded genius compared to the train wreck they were watching on screen. So it like sticks out almost because you're like, 
at least the soundtrack was good. That's what basically everyone was leaving the theater. Well, and I mean, Almost Famous and Vanilla Sky, the soundtracks got a ton of attention. So everyone was probably even paying attention to that in the first place. So it was probably like, oh, well, at least he still got a good soundtrack compared to what this is. Putting out a song about New York or a New York-oriented song anytime in 2001 or after 2001, certainly for the first couple of years after 2000, that's like a cheat code. That's cheating. And I think people would have known or been suspicious of it. It's just that he did it kind of like at the same time. So he he had plausible deniability, assuming he didn't have insider information. We don't have proof that that happened, but it is a weird coincidence. I think everyone listening to this does need to understand we're talking about a person who has bought fake followers on social media. Is he really? Oh, I, I suspect. <laughs> okay, okay, uh, okay. I don't remember how many years ago this happened, but some other songwriter guy gave a copy of his own album to Natalie Prass when Natalie and Ryan were dating. And Natalie must have listened to it and played it for Ryan because next thing you know, Ryan's posting about how great this guy's album is on social media. The guy whose album it was then went to Reddit And he made a post on Reddit that was like, Ryan Adams just shared my music to over 600,000 followers on his social media accounts. Here's what happened next. And the numbers he gives in his post are so laughably low. It was something like 2,000 people went to the dude's website, which is not a lot. And it resulted in, I think, less than $100 of sales. These numbers are simply not possible if we're talking about a famous musician recommending music to 600,000 music fans. All right. So many more people would have bought this if they were real people. So but then what happened is that dude's Reddit post hit the front page of Reddit. So people in the comments asked him to make another post detailing the effects of hitting the front page of Reddit exponentially higher than what happened from Ryan's post. Whenever this happened, it was before Instagram did that purge thing and deleted a ton of fake accounts. Right, yes. I think Ryan's Instagram right now has like 80,000 followers. It seems like he added a zero is what it seems like, (laughs) whatever he paid for. When you're uh, 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 paying for relevancy, I guess, it's funny because uh, it was such a thing way back in the beginning where you could just get away with it, but now it's obvious that it's so fake. Like you could do it for years. So people wouldn't, the first couple of years, people probably didn't realize it was a thing, but definitely now, and especially when you look back at times like that, you could definitely be like, well, wait a second, dude, you have how many followers and only X number of people liked your post? Well, that's really fucking weird. Don't get me wrong, the power of Reddit, shout out Reddit, but like, I mean, if Chris Martin were to make a post about our episode about Coldplay, I'm going to assume that we would get a million plays a million. in probably like two days. Like, no joke. Easy. Yeah. Yes. Because that's actual real fame and reach, not uh, a bunch of magazines worshiping at the altar of your fake career. Yeah, I, just, I don't think very many people have ever really bought into this. Well, again, if your biggest song is a fucking cover song... How big are you really as an artist? You know what I mean? It's like, I really do think that's a really dead giveaway that a lot of it is a facade. They don't really, really like your actual music that much. And maybe he actually always was just this small niche artist that people thought was way bigger than he really was. 
opportunities that he didn't deserve. I think people who care about this believe it's something that many more people besides them care about, but yeah. I don't think that's ever really been the situation. Which is true for a, probably a shit ton of bands that we've covered. We're from Nashville and in Nashville, and I think it's also a lot of... Um, People who wish they could have the career that Ryan Adams has with sure. the same amount of talent that Ryan Adams has, kind of like putting him on a pedestal because, like, oh, there's one who got through. Yeah. yeah. There's one who faked it until he made it, you know? Yeah. Getting pissed off a lot of people, but Nashville's fucking full of these assholes like that. So, and when Ryan Adams was, was huge, I lived here during that time period. <laughs> My God. You would think that Ryan Adams was Jesus Christ. Yeah. So many people loved Ryan Adams. I bet a lot of girls in this city are sick of the dudes that they date talking to them about Ryan Adams. <laughs> or emulating his shittiness or whatever. Yeah. But you, no doubt, how many people picked up a guitar because they're like, oh, if this idiot can be huge, I can cover Wonderwall. I can cover Oasis. I can do, yeah. I could follow in his footsteps. How many times have we made a joke about someone at a party picking up an acoustic guitar and covering Wonderwall? That's literally what Ryan Adams did. You want to hear some Wonderwall? He literally was that guy who went on to become famous. Fuck, how many people to this day play Wonderwall because of that asshole? Some of it might be his fault. I think it's just the song. I think it was happening before he did the cover. Oh, sure. No, I mean, the well, yes, way huge, way before he did the cover. But sad version. Yeah, there are probably a lot of people who try to pull off his version. Oh, God. <laughs> um. So for people who may not be aware Concert audiences in Nashville are the worst concert audiences in North America. Hands down. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, on any given night in Nashville, there are at least 100 bands playing on stages throughout the city. So we've seen it. You know, whatever you've got, we saw it the first time, we saw it the second time. By the time everyone else finds out about it, we're bored and we're ready to talk about the next thing the whole time you're playing your set. Yep. So it's not something I'm usually proud of, but what it does mean is we get to either see someone do the best show of their tour or the worst show of their tour. That's what happens in Nashville without fail. Because if it's a good band, the only thing they're going to do when they come to Nashville is go on stage, start killing and not stop killing. Because if your dumbass tries to get some crowd work going or leave any other kind of opening before you've proved you deserve it, you just handed the room to a bunch of carnivores. So probably some of you are aware that Ryan Adams spent about 15 years trying to get people at his shows to stop yelling out requests for summer of 69, the Brian Adams song. Great song. You're welcome. That started here at the Ryman. Mm -hmm. We did that mm -hmm. because we've been team fuck Ryan Adams since 2002. Ryan Adams got to play the Ryman, which is a big deal to someone like him, even after he started talking shit on country music and all that. And I guarantee you that he was like feeling himself this night into his show and everything. But someone in the audience kept yelling out summer of 69. And this is before this became a thing. It was before the meme, before the yeah. joke. 2002. This is way before you and your friends were doing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Ryan actually stopped the show. The stage of the Ryman has steps down into the uh, seated area in the front. Stops the show, walks down the steps, finds the person, 
And it's just some drunk dude who I think like keeps yelling summer of 69 at him, even when yes. he's off stage in front of him. Yes. My understanding is it did not stop. <laughs> yes. And top tier troll shit. I don't know. I mean, Ryan Adams is not a physically well, intimidating it was something person. Like, yeah, I like don't know like, what he thought he was yeah. doing coming off the stage. That, like he could, that could have gone real bad As for he's him. brushing his swoop to the it side. It could have gone real bad. But what he ended up doing is like asking how much the dude's ticket was and pulling cash out of his pocket and giving the guy the money and then having security kick him out. Which, I mean, I don't know, kind of a okay move. But th- I think it, like, fucked him up for the rest of the night. I wasn't at this show. I know people who were at this show, though. I know music writers who covered this show. Yeah. Again, it just goes back to taking himself very fucking seriously, having no sense of humor. And then, no, don't get me wrong. I think it's a fucking annoying. Of course it's fucking annoying. When I saw him a couple years later at the Ryman uh, during Wonderwall, there are people yelling and, like, you know, just... The last time he played there, he did this crazy shit. So, of course, people are like egging him on at that point. It was just like, that's the thing. Kind of never a fucking show, train wreck. You never show weakness, that's man. 100%. Especially not in this city. Because if you do it in this city, right. it's going to get written about. Our alt weekly Nashville scene. Yeah. I, I know people around the nation who read that alt weekly because of the quality of music journalists that we have writing for the Nashville scene. Yeah. And what happens here? Nashville is a make or break city for bands on their way up. People are paying attention to what happens here. Sure. So this is not the city you want to freak out in. Right. Yeah, because everyone's going to know the story. Because this is also pre-social well, and then media. And he spent 15 years dealing right. with people screaming yeah. Summer of 69 at him because of the way he reacted to yeah. it. Yeah, Which is crazy because if you think about it, that was pre-social, real social media, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that. So the fact that that story went what I would consider at the time to be viral. Yeah. I mean, because well, it's when what, people had to read the right, magazine. They would have had yeah. to have read it, read it in a story, like in a print article or something uh, is insane. Okay. The, the, the proper thing to do would be to say, maybe you say, shut up from the stage. You probably don't. You shouldn't say anything. When you finish your song, you should walk off stage for a second and tell your stage manager or your whoever's your tour manager, Hey, go find that guy and kick him out. That way you could, no one would even know probably what happened. Though. If Brian Adams was half as smart as people like to pretend he is and as fucking sensitive as he obviously is, he would have just a hand signal worked out with his stage hand in the wings to just be like, Hey, make this stop happening. Yeah. And that should be that, but no, he's got to throw a shit fit. Um, I guess I didn't have this in my notes unless I skipped over it, but when this guy was in whiskey town, this is just something I remember. I guess I forgot to put it in my notes, but when he was in whiskey town, he was the main songwriter and sang most of the songs in whiskey town, but he was in a band with other people who wanted to write songs and sing them sometimes, you know? So during the part of the set where the other people in the band would get to do like two or three songs, he was like, well, I don't have anything to do. So he would just leave the stage, take a break, like some kind of fucking rock star shit, even though nobody knew who he was yet. And usually what would happen is he would take a break and then go find something to put in his mouth that was going to alter his state of consciousness And there was one story about there was a bar next door. He ran into someone that he knew. And so he's like, hey, let's go over to this bar next door and get a drink real fast while they're doing their songs. I read the story. And then he's gone for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Just strands his band on stage. 
No, I think he was gone for a long time. It was like time. 20, 30 minutes. Yes. And then yes. when he finally remembers, like, oh shit, I'm in the middle of playing a concert right now, runs back in there and they're doing who knows what song, cover songs they know or whatever to get through it. Right. And then he just goes to the front of the stage and starts heckling his band. Dude, what is yeah. your fucking problem? That like the only reason you're even in this situation is because you can't stand two or three songs. Just stay on the stage, play your guitar, back them up, sing backup vocals, do something. Yeah. But no, you got to just like leave if it's not all about you and then throw a f- some kind of fit. If you think about that story and then you think about how he acts at the Ryman, it's wild to me that these stories get told and he still somehow has any cred amongst anybody. The only logical conclusion is what with the conclusion that we came to earlier was that they realize that they too are probably not that good at what they do, but they're like, if this guy can do it, man, I can fucking do it too. Cause this guy sucks. <laughs> this guy sucks so bad. He, if he can make it, I'm going to fucking make it. You know what I mean? I got to find a cover, a band of cover and do a sad version of it. And you know what I mean? I'm going to be fucking Ryan Adams. I think you just said it, man. I think if Ryan Adams is your favorite band, your favorite band sucks. You are welcome for listening to your favorite band sucks. So that ought to be about a wrap on this guy's career, right? One thing I did forget to mention in the episode, and this is probably just a huge coincidence, but you know how part of the Heartbreaker lore is that it's Ryan Adams' breakup album from the girl he was dating while in Whiskey Town? Yeah, that girl just so happened to be one of the best music publicists who ever worked in the business. Make sure to bring that up the next time you're talking to someone pretending to be one of the 10,000 people who cared about Whiskey Town before they broke up, and then hand them an old 97s album. Let's see. Oh, I fucking obviously know that Sylvia Plath is dead. I was talking about how much she must hate that idiotic song from the afterlife. Since I assume anyone who thinks Ryan Adams is a talented writer has never read Sylvia Plath, here's a poem of hers called Ennui. Tea leaves thwart those who court catastrophe, designing futures where nothing will occur. Cross the gypsy's palm and yawning, she will still predict no perils left to conquer. Jeopardy is Jejun now. Naive knight finds ogres out of date and dragons unheard of, while blasé princesses indict tilts at terror as downright absurd. The beast in Jamesian Grove will never jump, compelling heroes' dull career to crisis. And when insouciant angels play God's trump, while bored arena crowds for once look eager, hoping toward havoc, neither pleas nor prizes shall coax from doom's blank door, lady or tiger. Kids, that's how you do words good. Sure, she did forget to rhyme bath with laugh, but nobody's unfallible. I'm pretty sure Mark made a new tie-dye t-shirt, so definitely go check that out when you hit up yfbspod.com to grab a link to this episode and share it everywhere you can. A bit of sad news, and I'm extra sorry to everyone who's going to believe this is a joke, but with everything going on right now, we were not able to do a Christmas music episode this year. Just releasing regular episodes hasn't been easy, and those Christmas specials actually take a lot of extra work so we were not able to make it happen. In fact, there's a good chance we'll have to take another little break after this next episode comes out, but don't get too sad, because that next episode is on Black Flag, bitches. 